Hey folks, about a month ago, Nathan finished this challenge. Travis is still out there finishing the list, but we're talking to both of them today. And what Nathan did was called the SPS list. It's the Sierra Peak Series, and it's a list of 247 significant mountains in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. And all of these are pretty big mountains. Um, a lot of them, 12,000, 13,000, and 14,000 feet. Most of them, there's some that are smaller than that, but not many. It's an enormous list. And very few people have even completed the list, much less do it in record time. But uh, Nathan specifically finished on July 8th. And also last year, if you remember, we had Jason Hardrath on to talk about his journey to 100, the 100 highest peaks in Washington. Nathan completed that list too. He did most of those peaks with Jason and went back and finished the rest. And so Nathan did that with Jason in uh, on the Bulgers list back in 2021. And now Travis is doing that with Nathan on the SPS list. So Travis is almost done. Uh, he's worked his way through a ton of the mountains. We're catching up with both of them right outside of Yosemite. They're about to enter Yosemite Valley right before we talk. And so we're talking about that and uh, we, we get into it, but they're, they're getting ready for a really big and really exciting section of the experience uh, right when we're talking. Again, this is a couple months ago. Nathan has already finished, but go check it out. Their website, SPS 2022, uh, is amazing. And also I wanted to shout out, they did do it for a cause in the Bishop Paiute Food Sovereignty Program. If you would like to contribute to that, that is also in the show notes. And that was what uh, food security and not being wasteful is a huge, uh, huge goal of theirs, a huge goal of mine personally. I don't like to waste food. And uh, this food sovereignty program you can contribute to. And they were able to raise a few thousand dollars for it. So uh, go check it out and let's support them. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in. All right, folks, you heard a little bit in the intro, uh, but want to welcome Nathan Longhurst and Travis Soares to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Welcome, y'all. Hey, thanks for having us. Fan of the pod. Actually listened to a couple episodes uh, recently while I've been out walking, so it's an honor. That's awesome. That's too cool to hear. I didn't know people actually listen to the show. It's like I, I, it's like I... Uh, <laughs> It's like you got a little raft and you just push it out in the ocean. It's like wherever it goes, it goes. <laughs> That's how it is when you click, you know, uh, publish on the show. So it's like wherever it goes, it goes. But that's cool. Um, yeah, no, it's on. It's honored to talk to y'all. I'm, I'm absolutely blown away doing research about this experience. What can't imagine what all you've seen. I mean, I'm one. I'm super jealous. Um, but but two. Uh, I always want to know, and I think I know where y'all are right now, but I want to know where are you coming from right now? Right now we are in Oakhurst, California on the west side of the Sierra. We're on our way to Yosemite. We'll be there this evening. Oh, that's awesome. Oh man, I love Oakhurst. I used to live in Yosemite Valley, which I'm sure listeners are tired of hearing of. And Oakhurst was like the closest <laughs> town to, with like a real grocery store or anything. <laughs> Yeah, that's funny. We're actually in the grocery store parking lot as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, hopefully it's not too hot for you in the back of the van. It's a little toasty, but... I, I'm sure it's nothing compared to what you've you've done so far. But um, 
Well, dude, y- y- thank y'all so much for taking the time. I didn't mean to, I don't want to like put you out or anything, but this is just an honor to talk to you and just to hear about this unbelievable experience. But before we jump in, I, I do want to hear um, where where are both of y'all from and how did you meet? And also just maybe some of your adventure or sports background, because I talking to folks on the show, you just never know. You never know if it was just all ball sports or no sports at all. And they got into what they do now and what we're talking about on the show. But where you're from, um, and where's home for you, and then and then what you were into growing up. Yeah, I can start. This is Travis speaking. I was born in Rhode Island, where there aren't any mountains, but lots of ocean. And yeah, growing up, I was just outside the neighborhood I grew up in. We had around twelve kids, similar age, and we were just. I was playing like football or capture the flag and like running around in the woods. So I was pretty active. And then, yeah, going into like more traditional sports, I played football for six years and eventually realized that I was too small to play um, somewhere in high school. and transition to to running cross country and wrestling and running really spoke to me and is something that I've just continued to do and I've been going on longer and longer runs since and I think that's why I'm here <laughs> yeah that's awesome go go ahead go for your side Nathan so I'm from I'm from Spokane Washington which is on the very far east side of Washington state and I was really fortunate growing up to have parents that were interested in spending lots of time in the outdoors. So we spent a lot of time backpacking and camping and fishing at some of the, you know, some of the mountains and alpine lakes around Spokane. Um, as I grew up, I, I started running some more. I started running track and cross country in middle school and on my high school teams. Got really into that. And around the same time, later, mid, later middle school, I started getting into rock climbing. Um, actually first started just by going to the climbing gym, but then started climbing outside more at some of the crags around Spokane. And those two for me just kind of eventually came together in a really cool way when I found the mountains and I realized that I could run these amazing trails up into the mountains and climb on, you know, these awesome scrambling routes and alpine routes. So I got really hooked on that in the North Cascades, spent a couple summers doing that. And then through those kind of mixed running and scrambling routes, I got introduced to FKTs, which ended up leading me to get in touch with Jason. I actually got in touch with him just via Instagram DM about the Rainier Infinity Loop, which is a route of, of the, he had the record on at the time that I was interested in trying. And so I got in touch with Jason. He was really open. And that conversation actually ended up leading to us uh, partnering up for his Bulgers project last summer, and so I did a lot of those peaks with him. Got really into the the idea of like doing a a peak list from a through hiking style approach. So just kind of going day after day after day to work through a whole list, and so that sort of naturally led into this project that we're in the middle of right now. That's <laughs> so wild, y'all. Yeah, Nathan, yeah, I, I've heard your name a bunch with uh, obviously Journey to 100 coming out and taking that around the country. And you're in the film a lot. Uh, Jason credits you a lot with uh, just 
keeping the stoke high and <laughs> being like a companion on that list. And you went on to complete the Bulgers list uh, in a 94-day time frame and also the second person to do it in a single season, which is awesome. Um, and, th- man, this is like literally the Bulgers times two in point eight, like almost three times. Like this is insane what y'all are doing right now. So, so take us through what is the SPS, uh, which is, uh, stands for the Sierra Peaks section, peak list. And for folks that don't know, the Sierra Peaks section is like a group within the Sierra Club in the Los Angeles Sierra Club chapter? Like, it's actually a little confusing. Could y'all explain, like, what the list is and, and why it's important? So, essentially, yeah, you, you, you kind of led into it well. So, to my understanding, there is this peak section of the Sierra Club, and they created a list. And the interesting thing, like, the, the, the real appeal to me about the SPS list is that it's, like, it's not a strictly... It's not like a mathematical list. So with the Bulgers list, it's the 100 highest in Washington. And that's how 90% of peak lists are. It's like the peaks above this elevation or the peaks with this amount of prominence. Like 14ers, for instance. That's just literally based on a number. Yeah, yeah. but with the SPS list, um, they actually sort of separated the Sierra into 24 distinct sections, like geographical sections. And then they picked the most significant peaks in each of those sections. And so you get peaks, you know, up on the northern end around Tahoe or in the southern end that are only eight or 9,000 feet tall, which would they wouldn't make a cutoff list of like, they're probably not even the top 400 peaks in California, maybe even not the top 500. Um, but they're really interesting and cool peaks. And so you get a nice even distribution throughout the range, which I think makes for a, a really cool and immersive experience being able to travel across the entire Sierra Nevada range. Two, 282 peaks is... I mean, that's just a lot of mountains, man. And and not having like a definitive like criteria for what they meet. It's like subjective a little bit what makes one of the, the, the peaks. But nonetheless, it's a lot of peaks. What made both of you want to tackle this? I mean, just from a logistics point of view and like the time frame, I mean, it's such a daunting goal. What? Who brought it up first, and who? How did y'all connect about this? So, well, first, just to clarify, it's two hundred and forty-seven peaks, actually. Oh, um, I saw. I saw two eighty-two. You scared, scared me for a second there. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they literally <laughs> just added forty yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, no, I wouldn't be upset. I need more mountains to climb. <laughs> so. The uh, it's kind of a little bit of a crazy story and a little bit of an out out of the blue thing. Um, After doing the Bulgers last summer, this gentleman who used to live in California, he lives abroad now. Uh, His name's Dan and complete stranger to me at the time. He just got in touch with me saying that he was interested in uh, contributing to like helping sponsor my next big project. And he actually suggested the list. And at the time, I'd never heard of it. So as of this was back in September, so less than a year ago, I'd never even heard of the list. And he suggested it, and I was pretty hesitant at first just because it's such a big project, such a long list. But uh, as I talked to him about it, and the more I kind of uh, researched the list and did some of my own investigating, the more and more attracted to the idea I became, and the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> what about you, Travis? What, what, how did you get involved? Yeah, I think 
once Nathan had committed to doing the list, I think Jason put us in contact. And I don't know if Nathan was actively looking for a partner, but basically Dan also reached out to me and said, hey, I think this is something that you could do too. And so I reached out to Nathan. And at first I wasn't particularly interested in in a list because I um, was like, who created this list? Like, what's the significance? I'm more so drawn by aesthetics as a mountain athlete. But I looked at it on a map and it seemed to make sense to me. And at the very least, I figured it would just be an awesome way to get to know the Sierras, which are really special to me. And and yeah, it has been. I've, I've learned a lot about this range. And it was something that I wasn't sure that I could do. And it really scared me, which I think is... Is a, a good thing to to try to go for if you have that feeling. Yeah, n- yeah, that's absolutely. You know, go go in the direction that you're scared of the most. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> yeah. like a good way to live. But I see where I made the the mistake of 282. I was just talking about the list of the Monroes in Scotland. It's a list of mountains in Scotland, and there's 282 of those. I just did a podcast on that this morning. That's where my confusion oh, was. That's a different list. So if you want to do that one one day, you know, that's a, that's all in <laughs> Scotland. Uh, beautiful mountains, but this is 247. It's crazy how close they are, actually. But no, uh, going going back to this list, when you first thought of the idea, I, I'd love to hear, too, about what, like, your families thought. Obviously, Nathan, you had done stuff like this before, and I know, Travis, you've done, like, the AT, you've climbed El Cap, uh, you've got a bunch of FKTs, too. What what were people's reactions when you said you wanted to do the full list? I think my family was mostly pretty excited. They were really supportive. Uh, they saw that I had a really good time and really a, a great experience doing the Bulgers with Jason. I think they were a little bit baffled at first just because, yeah, again, it's such a long thing. It's like like the equivalent of doing it through like a one of the long trails in the U.S. that's through hike. It's that kind of time commitment and then some. But yeah, they were mostly excited for me. Yeah, yeah, similar for me. I've, I'm very fortunate to have supportive parents who I'm very grateful, grateful that they, they uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's, they've sort of been desensitized over the years. <laughs> Since I was in high school, I put together a presentation. When I first wanted to hike the Appalachian Trail, I presented to them um, <laughs> to try to let, get them to let me go. And they just, yeah, told me to wait until I graduated and had enough money. But so, yeah, I've been coming to them with some crazy ideas, I think for a while now, and just slowly desensitized them to this. So they're, they're all in, they're psyched for me. That's awesome. So, so tell us about starting this experience and kind of what was, what's the strategy going into it? Because y'all, y'all are at different kind of points of the list right now from what I can tell, uh, Nathan, you're at 155 peaks. So well over halfway. Uh, and Travis, you're at 83, 156 and 83 from what I can tell. So I, I'd love to hear about like, how did you begin approaching it? What's the strategy and and what's the difference between the two of y'all's completion list? So, well, I hate to brag, but we're actually, we're, we're at a basin. I think I'm at 168 now. Oh, yeah, really? So the website's a little behind. The, the website might be behind. No, you scared me again. <laughs> Dang, my uh, my 
my data is all off then. That's <laughs> uh, all good. It's a good. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm a really avid ski mountaineer. I've I started skiing. In fact, I should have mentioned this when I was talking about my uh, my sort of upbringing in the outdoors. I started skiing when I think I was six years old. Started going to the ski resort throughout my whole adolescence and high school years. Then I got really into backcountry skiing because you know the snow is always better. You can ski deeper powder. And then backcountry skiing led into ski mountaineering, where the snow always sucks and the lines are scary and rocky. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. You can ski these amazing lines. And coincidentally, the Eastern Sierra is, in my opinion, maybe the best mountains on earth for ski mountaineering between big lines and easy access in the wintertime. And so as I was planning this list, I was sort of, I was kind of debating back and forth because uh, skiing, you know, with having to move through snow-covered terrain and you have to carry a lot more gear and it's a lot more conditions dependent. I knew that it would be a little bit less efficient than starting later and doing everything on foot, but I also just love that mode of travel through the mountains. And to me, that's just like the the aesthetic way to do a lot of these mountains and like the best way to experience a lot of these mountains. And so I decided that I was going to start uh, early in the spring. I ended up starting February 19th, I believe. And I skied uh, a good handful. I think I ended up skiing 70, 70 and change peaks. Um, had a really good, really good time doing that. And then kind of in late April, I switched modes. And that's when Travis started with me, when we started on foot together. Unreal. And for me, um, originally I was... I was interested in trying to to ski with Nathan because I knew that that was something that I haven't explored as much. But then it kind of became clear that Nathan is a much faster skier than me after a test test run, and so I basically decided for me it was it was more. I'm a little bit more interested in just climbing and running the peaks instead and so so once nathan and i finish together once nathan finishes his list i'm gonna go back and climb the remaining peaks man this is so wild so so, so how have y'all been holding up you know this is you've been out for how long now exactly i think for myself it's been 54 ish days and i'm like a hundred and something for nathan a little over a hundred that's actually what I had written down, but I didn't know if it'd be wrong again, so I didn't want to say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but no, this is um, this is absolutely wild. So a hundred days, Nathan, uh, and fifty for you—that is by no means a small adventure. <laughs> Some of my longest experiences are right around the two to three month marks, so right in between y'all. Mm. That can feel like a, a lifetime away from normal life or whatever life was before. How have y'all been holding up? How are y'all doing? Let's take a quick message break and hear from the folks that help make this show possible. I'd like to introduce you to our newest sponsor, Gnarly Nutrition. I know you've heard about them recently because we've had some guests on recently that credits Gnarly for helping them do the the adventures that we talk about on this show. So uh, Chris Fisher was one who did the Vert Max. He did 400,000 feet of elevation gain in a month 
check out that episode. Uh, that was not too far back. And he credits Gnarly Nutrition for keeping him, his body literally sustained during that time, just packing in the calories. It's amazing nutrition for anyone doing anything adventure, uh, endurance-based, whether that's in the mountains or bikepacking or whatever. It's a great thing to have with you prior to an, uh, an adventure training and also during an adventure. And also Jason Hardrath, who recently did um, the 100 fastest known times. He did 100 mountains in 50 days and just was slamming gnarly nutrition. He also credits Gnarly for essentially keeping his body sustained. And so um, Gnarly Nutrition has been around since 2008. They were born in Utah's Wasatch Mountains, uh, and they are committed to educating and inspiring athletes of all levels to be as nutritionally sound as possible. Their nutrition supplements are certified by NSF and have science-backed products free of hormones, free of GMOs, proprietary blends, uh, and nothing artificial. So Gnarly is going to help you get ready and help you sustain during uh, those huge adventure efforts. So if you're looking for the best tasting and the most trusted sports nutrition brand for any endurance athletes, go to Go Gnarly, and that is G-N-A-R-L-Y dot com, and use the code GnarlyAdventure15 for 15% off. And just, you know, a personal plug here, I love Gnarly. I love the folks there. They're doing such a fantastic job. They have been so great to work with. Uh, they helped provide some products for um, our Journey to 100 film series uh, that we were doing giveaways with at the end of every film screening. So it's been a pleasure to work with them so far. So if you'd like to support the folks that are supporting this show, definitely go visit gonarly.com. That is plenty of that for now. Let's get back into the episode. Mostly good. It definitely, it has certainly felt like a, a long journey so far for me. We've uh, actually just, just yesterday, we got a view of some of the peaks around Mammoth that I did pretty early on in the project. Peaks like Bloody Mountain and Red Slate. And just like looking over at them and remembering when I was on top of them, it, it feels like a lifetime ago. Wow. But I think we've done a pretty good job at pacing ourselves. So, you know, we're moving, moving quickly and efficiently, but getting just enough rest in here and there that it's mostly sustainable. Bodies are definitely tired and a little bit fatigued, but yeah, it's, it's not like a shorter effort where we're just like, blasting everything out of the tank every day and then just getting back to the van completely wrecked. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, the first week and a half was the most difficult physically for me when my body was just trying to understand what was happening <laughs> and was trying to keep up. And, and now that it kind of knows the deal, it's been able to adapt that I, I can just sort of move every day, all day. Um, it's kind of amazing how bodies can do that. So far, been holding up. That is wild. One of the funny things that I've found with long efforts like this is y your body sort of naturally, it'll like put a cap on your output level. And so, uh, you know, like you'll be, you'll be trotting along the trail doing your three mile an hour pace. And then if you try to, if you try to bump it up any faster, if you try to jog at all, you go for like two minutes and your body's like, no, back to the <laughs> shuffle. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's like, you, you just kind of figure out this sustainable pace that's fast and efficient, but you can't really move any faster than that or your body just 
refuses. <laughs> it's like a, a different kind of rut that you're in, this rut of <laughs> extreme rut that your body's in, but you, it's hard to get out of <laughs> slower or faster. That's wild. Man, that is so cool. I mean, I, I know that... Uh, there's there's just so much I want to know about this from like a logistics and just the the beauty of it. I, I I'm totally biased. My favorite mountains in the whole world are the Sierra Nevadas. So what you're doing, seeing nearly every square inch of it, is just like a dream come true. Oh, and I know Nathan, you're you've covered over 1,400 miles. Heck, it might be closer to 1,500 now. And Travis, you'll you'll be approaching like a thousand miles. I know you're over 800 right now, and and also hundreds of thousands of feet and vertical gain. T- tell us about like what, how you're approaching this because you don't, you don't go and it's not a through hike where you go do all of them at once and resupply in towns. You have to come back to, I, I guess your van, um, drive to the next like place you park and do a section or do a segment of them. How has that been organized and, and, and what does that look like? So I basically just have a, a Caltapo file and it has a mark for each of the SPS peaks. And I started working on this file back in September when I started planning for the project. And let me tell you, I really, I really wish that Caltapo, if anyone from Caltapo headquarters hears this, they need to add a feature that tells you how long you've spent looking at one of your maps. Because I've probably spent <laughs> thousands of hours <laughs> looking at this Caltapo file. So basically, I went through, took all the groups of peaks you know some of them are easy it's just like a single peak near a trailhead you just do it car to car so those were all pretty easy to figure out um what got really challenging is when i got into like sort of the the heart of the high sierras like the area like the evolution region region of of bishop and then like down along the crest to mount whitney area and then like over on the western side you get these big groups of peaks that are all really close together and it got really kind of tricky and complicated to figure out how to most efficiently separate them into reasonable trips. But yeah, sort of piece by piece kind of untangled everything. And as I was doing it, the goal that I had was to make everything into trips that were efficient, but into trips that we could do sort of self-supported by ourselves. Because we didn't have, like, technically this is a supported effort because we have had things where we've had other people and we've had some... Yeah, some people helps with some stuff. But for the most part, we've just been kind of going out on these self-supported trips. So nothing longer than, you know, three to five days, maybe as long as a week. And so I sort of separated everything into little segments that we could do like that from a single trailhead. And for the most part, tried to separate things into sections where we could, you know, hike our hike our backpacking stuff, hike our camp in, and then do day trips from there, like day loops to hit a bunch of peaks because we're both soft and we don't like carrying heavy packs up mountains. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you're soft, but uh, you just don't like to carry heavy stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so just kind of piece by piece figured out where would be the most efficient to access each group of peaks from, and then from that made a big driving plan and tried to make that as smooth as possible as well. We're basically just doing one big loop around the entire range. And yeah, kind of just settled into the current schedule that we're in the middle of right now. Unreal. That is awesome. Man, what an adventure. What an adventure. Now, now I know that the, the list is broken into sections with like the most pristine or the best mountains being the emblem peaks. H- have you noticed like a difference in the ones that are considered emblem and mountaineering versus the ones that are like on lower sections of the list, if that makes sense. Have you noticed like a difference in the quality of the experience? 
Yeah, I think for me, what I notice is when you get on top of a summit and the peaks that are tall and like striking and stand out to you, like for instance, Black Kahuya or Mount Goddard or Mount Humphreys, and you're just like, wow, that's a nice peak. Um, for the most part, those are they seem to be the emblem peaks. Yeah, I'd say they're 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 pretty cool. <laughs> we have on on the wall of Travis's van here. We have the list posted up, and so we're both uh, looking at it and picking out which ones are the emblem peaks. But but then but then you never know. You might get like one small little peak that's just like kind of tucked in the middle of this range that just has like the coolest view ever and you never would have imagined that such a small peak or like one that you've never heard of is is also like just pretty awesome too and that's been one of the coolest things about following a list is that you never know like what the character of a peak is going to be like yeah i definitely i found that with the bulgers as well and yeah it was with the sps list in addition it's you get these random little peaks in some remote corner of the range that you would never climb otherwise unless they're on kind of like this arbitrary list but then you go climb them and you're like this is the most amazing peak i've ever been on like there's this one it's below kearsarge pass it's called mount bago and it's not really an interesting climb. It's kind of a walk up and it's not particularly tall. It's actually significantly shorter than all the peaks around it. I think it's less than 12,000 feet, but it just has one of the most incredible summit views I've ever seen. Cause you have this awesome, like in your face view of the, like the North, the big Northeast faces of the great Western divide. And then all the other peaks around the Kearsarge Pass area. Mm -hmm. So, and, and it's like overlooking these two canyons and down in one canyon, you can see Charlotte Dome, which is this huge granite wall. And then you can see Bubs Creek. And yeah, it's just it's an incredible view. But like looking at this peak on a topo map, it like it doesn't really jump out to you. It's not one that you'd like, you know, go out of your way to go climb otherwise. That's awesome. Now, have you had a, any peaks? Obviously, a lot of these I'm sure you're doing alone or you're just the only people around because they're so remote and people aren't going after them. Have you had any peaks where it was like just a lot of people there, a big presence, and was that like a shock to the system almost or was it bizarre? We've we've actually haven't really been seeing too many people from the summit registers. We've basically noticed that we're the first of the year on probably 85% of these peaks so far, maybe more. Now that the snow is melting and it's June, I think people are considering Sierra season to be opening up. So, and especially because we're going to be heading down to Yosemite, we're going to see a lot of people, I think from here on out, but for this, this first part of the project, we've haven't really seen a lot of people. We did have one, this wasn't on a summit, but it was kind of a funny, uh, funny experience. So we were up in Mineral King and we were actually the first people to drive up when the road opened. We timed it on the day of the opening. We were there waiting for the gate to open. Um, and so we drove up, we parked at the trailhead, went in for a four-day backpacking trip, and we were the only people at the trailhead when we left. And this is over Memorial Day weekend. So we got back on Sunday evening of Memorial Day weekend and the trailhead was just packed. 
like not a single spot left. There were probably a hundred cars up there. And it was like, yep, like backcountry season in the Sierra Nevada has started. It's official. <laughs> and and the thing about Mineral King is there's this infamous story of the Mineral King marmot where they sneak in to people cars and munch on their radiators or radiator, radiator hoses insulation and, and so what people have come up come up with for a solution is they just wrap their their hood or in some cases their entire car and tarps and so looking down on the parking lot we saw like 20 to 30 cars and they're all blue wrapped in tarps and it was just the strangest thing and it's kind of a surreal moment and our our van was the only one that was untarped and we were like oh boy we're we hope we didn't get munched on but thankfully we we were left alone isn't your van blue as well <laughs> my, my van's the blue one we had oh. travis's up at mineral king but... <laughs> that's hilarious yeah can't they chew like brake lines and stuff too yeah, there's stories of them wreaking all kinds of havoc, but apparently they don't have an appetite for beater 40 <laughs> lines because we were spared. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. So, so, I mean, it's just there's so much you've experienced. What's maybe one of the striking things you feel like you've learned about the Sierras through this experience, whether it's something hopeful or something dire about the future is is there anything that you've just noticed being out there about about that mountain range that's a good question that's my job <laughs> i mean lots especially over here on the west side we've been through lots and lots of very recent fires so as, as i was planning uh Caltapo has a great feature that you can see like maps of his like where recent wildfires have been and so I used that to figure out what we needed to prioritize getting done early in the season to avoid being blocked by a wildfire. And, you know, like you can you can hear the statistics and like see numbers on a graph and whatever about the increase of wildfires. And it sort of seems like, you know, whatever. But when you're looking at a map and you're looking at, OK, here's where the fires were in 2000. Here's where the fires were in 2001. And then all the way on until the recent years, it's like absolutely shocking the exponential growth in both the size and the distribution of wildfires just over like the last 10 years or 20 years the difference between 2000 and then like last summer it's remarkable that was actually one of my questions was how have wildfires or, or even the smoke been affecting you at all and have y'all run into those delays or those ta- change of plans we haven't had any yet we're hoping that we can both get done before that becomes too big of an issue. You know, we're still early in the season. We did have, there was actually one trailhead that was still closed from a fire last year. Uh, the trailhead to access Coyote and Angora Peaks. So we had to do those from Mineral King from a different direction. But in terms of fires this season, we haven't had anything yet, fortunately. When are y'all hoping to be done with the list, the full list? So right now, for me, if everything goes perfectly, it'll be July, I believe July 7th or July 8th. And then I think Travis is going to be mid-August. Yeah, I'm hoping to finish around a month after that time. So hopefully early to mid-August. What are some of the peaks you're, you're looking forward to, I guess? You know, I've obviously you're going to Yosemite. I'm sure y'all are excited about going there. Obviously, yeah. it can be crazy there, but as far as busyness, but... 
It's an amazing place and it's so iconic and it's so beautiful. How long are you going to be there and what are you going to try to do while you're there? We've been looking forward to Yosemite since we started. We're both rock climbers. And so we've been looking forward to, yeah, to being back in the Valley. We both spent a good amount of time there. And I think I can speak for Nathan saying and myself that it's kind of feels like home in some ways. So tomorrow we're going to be climbing Half Dome via Snake Dyke, which is a 5-7 route up the slabs. Then we're going to traverse over to Clouds Rest. And then the next couple of days, we're going to be climbing some of the peaks around in the Clark Range, as well as Star King. Yeah, we'll be climbing North Peak and Kness. Kness is West Ridge is a really fun 5-6 ridge that we both climbed and both looking forward to. Absolute mega classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so lots of climbing, um, which we haven't been doing as much since we started. So we're look, both looking forward to that. Is the goal to be back down at the van at the end of the day for those peaks? Most of them, yeah. We have one We have one long backcountry link up back in the Clark Range and the Cathedral Range. But other than that, uh, yeah, we have a few day trips. That's awesome. Oh, so cool. Yeah, I, I'm sure it's going to be nice to kind of be in a little bit of civilization for a little while. It, you know, it makes <laughs> up for it in the fact that it's so beautiful and so iconic. So. Um, I'm sure that's going to be just so much fun, honestly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about like the gear you're using. I, I know you you both have backpacking experience and doing stuff like that, but what what are you bringing? What's some of like the essentials and what's some of the things that you aren't bringing that people might think you are? For backpacking, I guess w- one thing that I usually leave behind is a tent because it's the Sierra and the Sierra are magical and it never rains. Um, I used a tent earlier in the season when we were winter camping, but for the last probably close to two months now, I haven't brought a tent. But yeah, sleeping bags, sleeping pads, lots of food. Uh, If you saw my food bag for our most recent two-day trip, you'd think I was going out for two weeks, and I ate it all. (laughs) Yeah, beyond that, we climbed pretty much everything in our scrappy trail running shoes both of our shoes are pretty hammered (laughs) and we go through lots of pairs very quickly we haven't been bringing any climbing gear we don't bring a rope or a rack because we've generally been selecting routes that we're comfortable just doing solo running packs basically taking kind of a like a i guess extreme fast and light just kind of like a a, a trail running approach to doing most of these peaks yeah for me one of the most essential pieces of gear that I bring is uh, tea. I like to have tea at the end of the day to help me sleep. And uh, and we've been harvesting um, some mugwort, oh, yeah. which is a little plant uh, that you can find in most places down near water that is actually a sleep aid. So we've been, uh, and sleep is very important for recovery. And I'd, I'd argue that's one of the most important pieces of gear. <laughs> The mugwort tea. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Have you seen anything else out there that's kind of unusual or things that you just didn't expect to? For instance, I, I was talking to a friend who had done a peak list. Uh, I don't know. It was in Washington State. It wasn't the Bulgers list, though. But it was in, I think, the Enchantments. 
And he was saying there was like a car chassis almost at the summit of this peak. And he's like, how the hell did that get up here? And it was old, huh. old, old, old. So it's like prior to even the roads that were there now were there before. So it's like, what? How did that get there? Anything unusual. I mean, it is California. All kinds of cool, cool and quirky things going on all the time. I'm curious which peak that was. So the this is kind of an aside, but the enchantments were like my... That, that was my original alpine stomping grounds. Those are like the closest real mountains to Spokane. And I've had a lot of very impactful and important experiences there. So they're oh, wow. probably my favorite little, they're probably my favorite little sections of section of mountains on earth. So I guess I have to go back and find this car. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, ha- I'll have to figure out where it was. It's two guys, two brothers that wrote a book on, I don't remember the name of the book. I had them on the show a couple of years ago. They wrote like the book on, weekend experiences in that area, uh, climbing experiences. So I'll find their names and and have to get that over to you. And I have the book too, so. It wasn't, was it the Gilbertson twins by chance? That sound, I don't know. (laughs) I'll have to check. I'll I'll look at the book and look at their name and and send that over to you. That'd be sweet. But anyway, they, yeah, they were talking about just random things that you'd find out there and play like, oh, no one's probably ever been here before. And you look over and there's like a car from the (laughs) fifties. Like What? Clearly, people have been here in a big way. In terms of the Sierra, we had we were up on Florence Peak uh, a few days ago, down by Mineral King, and we were climbing this ridge, and we started seeing these tiny little, just like bits of like metal and like kind of mechanical-looking parts, like electronic-looking parts, and we found more and more parts, and eventually. Uh, we decided that it must have been a small plane crash up on this ridge at maybe twelve thousand feet. And there's like multiple hundreds of feet along this ridge. There were just like tons and tons of these tiny little pieces. And we never found anything bigger than maybe like a microwave at the biggest. It was mostly just like tiny little scraps. And then as we we climbed, we hit the summit. And then as we wrapped back around, we found uh, like one of the small engines, one of the props down in the valley below and yeah that was a little bit (laughs) kind of kind of surreal and unexpected for sure the craziest thing about that was just like how how like strewn like how big of a spread the debris was it was like scattered all over this mountainside holy cow yeah that's insane i I hope that wasn't new in the sense of like like it had been there for a while okay so people probably were aware of it i'm Um, sure yeah Wow, that's wild. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. Another one that's kind of kind of unusual is up out of Pine Creek Canyon uh, on the Gable Lakes Trail on the way up to Four Gables Peaks. There's the remnants of this old tram that I believe they used for like uh, resource extraction for like mining. Uh, so it's like this like think think sort of like a ski lift but that goes way up into the, these mountains. They used it to uh, carry ore back down, I guess. And so there's all like these random messes of like cables and towers kind of scattered a- along this valley. Wow. We did also find pretty recently, we found this cache of like cooking ware and tarps and hot chocolate <laughs> that we, uh, <laughs> We tried out. <laughs> it had been there for it had been there much for too long. long time. That one was pretty disappointing. Yeah, we actually had to pack out some of the trash, but we couldn't take all of it. That was interesting. The hot chocolate was good in our really? oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> 
That's awesome, y'all. Yeah, hopefully it wasn't someone waiting on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it had been there for a long time, it seemed like. <laughs> Another thing hope. <laughs> that we've been finding a lot of, I'm going to go on a, on a really short rant here, if that's okay. Um, we have oh, found yeah. dozens, maybe a hundred, we're probably getting close to a hundred yeah. balloons scattered across the mountains. No kidding. And it's all like, I know there's much bigger issues facing <laughs> our environment and our climate, but this is one little thing that people need to do better about. People need to stop buying helium balloons because they fly off and they land in the Sierra and it's just a real bummer. Absolutely. Yeah, it's an astounding amount of balloons. It, it, like, it seems like almost every day we find at least one balloon. Wow, that is so wild. I mean, it makes perfect sense. They essentially can travel miles and miles and miles once released, and the wind that carries them right up there, unreal. Yeah, the, the prevailing winds in the Sierra are coming from the west, so you have all these big population centers along the coast, and then all the balloons that people let go of just end up in the mountains. Man, so wild. Yeah, something that I, I'm convinced most people aren't willingly littering. Like when we go, I live near the beach and mangroves, and it's just like a filter for trash. I'm just convinced it just is, at, most of it is accidental. Like people aren't just yeah. tossing trash out, but it is, it is crazy how much that compounds into something you see on a daily basis. Who would have thought balloons at 10, 12,000, 14,000 feet up in the mountains of just, they, they go somewhere and they end somewhere. Yeah. And those things, yeah. I mean, marmot starts eating that or an animal or whatever. It's, it's getting lodged in their throat. It's not going to be pretty. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's also just like, it, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's weird and kind of shocking to be like, yeah, scrambling up this mountainside at 13,000 feet and feeling like you're on another planet and like no one's been there before. And then all of a sudden there's just like a hot pink balloon on the rock. <laughs> Definitely takes away from the experience. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> no more balloons, people. Jeez. So, so so speaking of that, obviously, it sounds like you are packing stuff out. You, you have to be eating something. How are you keeping yourselves uh, fueled? What, what does that look like? What's that strategy? <laughs> well, last night, I, I ate an entire family-sized box of Oreos. <laughs> Man, I got one in my fridge right now. Someone just told me to put Oreos in the fridge, which y'all can't do right now. And it's awesome. And I was like, how much oh. difference can it make? It is so much better. Really? It's like, it's like it's filled with ice cream at that point. And, and it, oh. like to dip it in milk is so much better when it's cold. The Oreo is cold. Yeah, I was like, nah, it's not going to be that wow. big of a deal. It's amazing. Like with it being hot in the van, my Oreos have always been like a little bit melty lately. Yeah. Which I'm kind of into that because then it's like gooey, but I'll have to, I'll have to try getting them cold yeah, sometime. But yeah, the, uh, the Oreos are definitely a staple. I've, uh, we need to get sponsored by Oreo. That's my real goal behind this peak bagging thing is to <laughs> land the first Oreo athlete sponsorship. Oh, man. That's, that's hilarious. Oreos, ramen. For me, it was always like Snickers and stuff oh, like that. Snickers. But yeah. All right, so Oreos, that's a big, big, big part of it. Anything else? Mostly just, yeah, lots of carbs, lots of fat. Lots of protein and not not a lot else. Like I'll, we, we I, I try to still eat some fruits and vegetables, but for the most part, like I'll start eating some vegetables, and my stomach just immediately tells me, like, dude, you don't have room for anything that's not pure calories. 
<laughs> no vegetables. You're on that no vegetables diet. That's uh, <laughs> pretty much. I, yeah. yeah, I've been trying to sneak vegetables into into the burritos. Trev's trying to keep me healthy, but all I want to eat is Oreos and pie. <laughs> so I, I know that. Um, I know that you, Travis, at least are an avid dumpster diver. Have y'all been doing any of that? Because I'll be honest, I, I'm I'm a fan. I, I like to dumpster dive, and I would always do that on my adventures, just as a way to you know save a little money. Obviously, we waste a lot, which is unfortunate. And you can, if you're willing to do that, there's plenty to have. Yeah, I think I haven't dumpster dove since Bishop when we first started because I'm familiar with those dumpsters, and uh, yeah, I remember finding. A good amount of vegetables basically around when we first started but since then i haven't really been because we're trying to get in and out of town as quickly as possible yeah but hey yeah maybe i'll give it a go here at bonds once we're <laughs> done with this interview and let you know what we find. Did, do you have the did you have the okers dumpster diving beta for us <laughs> <laughs> i wish i wish i did it's been like 10 years so i don't know if it still applies but vaughn's definitely um Gosh, in any of the places that you would normally do, check out there because uh, Oakhurst is such a, it's like the last thing, last town you see really with services. So a lot of tourists are going in and out, dropping stuff off or buying stuff. Or So yeah, it's definitely a good spot. The Valley itself too. Um, there's a couple grocery stores yeah. there and just, a, there's just a lot of waste, you know, people are in vacation mode, so they're a little extra wasteful, honestly. Yeah. Um, and so it it, it, it is kind of wild, the, the amount that runs through those places. But yeah, you guys are in for some some awesome stuff. So so after this, after Yosemite, can you take us through like wh- what is left? Are you going, uh, you're going north or are you going south? And also, um, what are some of the iconic mountains or the things you're looking forward to after this almost break in Yosemite or this point in Yosemite? So after Yosemite... We have a few in like the Sonora Pass area that will be fairly straightforward and easy, mostly trail miles, which we're excited for. And then uh, we're actually going to split up for a few days. Travis is going to head north to climb all the peaks around Lake Tahoe, which I've already done. It's sort of a strategic decision because that area is pretty fire prone. And so he wants to get those done as soon as possible before fire season starts. So while he's up there... I have a couple link-ups that I'm pretty excited for. I have one coming up that's going to be Bear Creek Spire, Abbott, Mills, and Dade up above Rock Creek Canyon, which I'm really excited for. There's some amazing and rugged peaks. After that, we're going to be going in to this uh, big, it's going to be close to a two-week link-up, just kind of a long, almost like a short through-hike type of thing uh, in between Taboos Pass and North Lake. And basically just going to be doing a bunch of the most rugged terrain in the Sierra, some of the most challenging peaks, including the Evolution Traverse, which is a mega classic, and a bunch of the peaks in the Palisades. And so, yeah, it's kind of the the last big crux, and we're really looking forward to it. I want to talk a little bit about your website, too, sps2022.com. Talk about some of the technology going into that because y'all are tracking this in a way I've never seen before. Like, is this a new thing that people are doing? Like, I can see, well, I thought some of my stats were right, but I know there's a little delay. So, um, but it's like showing what peaks you've climbed. It has a map, not just like a aerial map, but like a 3D Google Earth map of like where you are and where you're 
hiking and climbing at the time through your inReach. Um, it's really cool. It's like everything right there that you want to, to follow the experience. Is this like proprietary technology that y'all are using? It's just, I've never seen it before. So just to be clear, neither of us can take any credit for the website at all. I guess I can't speak for Travis, but I'm pretty... Uh, technologically incompetent. Um, the website is actually the creation of the guy who's sponsoring us, Dan. He's a software developer, and they're a really, really smart guy and really creative guy. And so, yeah, he's put together this really amazing software. We get lots of compliments about it. It's fun to, like, even ourselves to go on there, and you can sort of, like, go back through and relive some of the days we've already done with all the 3D tracking and the photos and stuff. So. Yeah, we we send in the photos, we write the trip reports, and then he does all the magic. <laughs> yeah, it's really awesome being able to share the experience in such a visual way. Because one of my main drives is like just to share these places with like my family and friends and just other people that are interested. And I think it's a really neat way for people to follow along and just be able to like see and maybe connect with these places that they otherwise wouldn't be able to go. So yeah, he's done a great job. If nothing else, I know that my mom loves it. <laughs> yeah, our <laughs> well, moms are pretty, are pretty excited that they know exactly where we are at all times. And I'm sure, yeah, it's like, uh, if, if I wish my mom would have had something like this to, to, to reference before, you know, assuming I had been eaten by a bear. Because this is great, just saying, okay, there's updates from this morning, this afternoon, here's where they are. I have all this. It's pretty amazing, honestly. You're total all the elevation to just geek out on or all the all the data to geek out on and uh, from from elevation, from distance, activity time, maps, it's it's pictures, like you said, it's really cool, really amazing. So uh, I commend y'all and Dan for putting that together. And also before, before we go, I did want to ask too, like you, you guys are accepting donations for, um, for a specific organization. Could y'all tell us like what, what it is you're, you're kind of driving attention towards? Yeah. Basically before we got going, uh, we worked out a fundraiser with the Bishop Paiute food sovereignty program and they're located in Bishop. And basically what they do is that they're, they're located on the Paiute Reservation. Um, and they have a garden and a small ranch that they're working on where they plant seeds and grow food. And they used to have markets where they distributed and sold food. Um, I think that's going to start sometime this summer once they have some more crops. But, but basically their mission is is just like, feeding the Paiute people and having some sort of sovereignty from, yeah, just for themselves. And so basically, yeah, I, I met with the the elders of the Paiute people and got their blessing that they're, they seem pretty psyched about it. And and so, yeah, it's just a really neat way to give back to to that community because the Paiute people were, were here a long time ago in the Sierras. And, and so, yeah, it's just, when times are tough and like <laughs> I feel like um being selfish or you know just like it's nice to to know that I'm, that we're giving back to a community and 
So I think we've been able to raise a little over 2,000 for them so far. And ideally, I'd like to get to, to five. Um, we'll see, see how much. But, but yeah, it's been, a, it's been working out so far. And uh, as an aside, if anyone that's listening is interested in donating, they can find the link in both of our social media and on the website. And yeah. Cool. We would really appreciate any help that anyone is interested in contributing. Awesome. We will absolutely plug that and uh, have that in the show notes as well. And also, um, before we go, y'all, I, I, lastly, I really appreciate y'all taking the time. But, I, but before we go, I do want to hear what has been like your favorite story to tell from the experience, like the maybe one of the first things that you say about it that, that was really cool or a beautiful day to just get people jazzed about adventure. Mm-hmm. Fish shark was pretty it's cool. tough to pick one. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> it's tough to pick one. Maybe, maybe we'll both tell one. Do you want to talk about fish shark, Travis? Yeah, I think one of the most exciting ones was came pretty early on uh, when we were working on the Whitney group. And it was day two for me. And my second peak, and if you don't, if you haven't heard of Fishhooker Red on Mount Russell, it's basically this striking, sort of like arching ridge that goes pretty much straight up the the, the face of of Mount Russell, and it's this golden arete um, that is basically shaped like a fishhook. It's one of those beautiful pieces of rock in the Sierra. <laughs> it's very beautiful. Um, and it's rated 5.9, and it's something that both of us had wanted to climb for a while, and so we were both really looking forward to it. And so we were camped down at Boy Scout Lake below Mount Whitney and woke up, and we were both very excited. As we started hiking, we we uh, noticed that it was a little windy, windier than expected that day, and um, got over to the base of Mount Russell and the wind was just just really cranking down. It was around like 30 miles an hour probably. And it was pretty sustained too. It was like big gusts, but for the most part, it was just constantly moving, moving through and it was just really cold. And it was a bit of a bummer because we we're at the base of this climb that we really wanted to do. And yeah, it wasn't ideal conditions, so we both decided on the count of three, we would either put a thumbs up or thumbs down, depending on what we wanted to do. And we both gave a thumbs up and basically launched into the arete. And uh, and it was awesome. It was it was cold for sure, and making like five nine moves was a little tricky, but in the wind, but, um, engage a little engaging, <laughs> especially because we didn't have any gear, but, uh, but yeah, once we made it past the crux, we were just like, so psyched. It felt like we just had tons of momentum. It almost felt like we were like harnessing the wind at that point <laughs> and just like riding, riding the wave up the rest of the arete. And it was, it was a really great day. Wow. Sounds epic. I'm sure it's just been indescribable to see most beautiful mountains in the country maybe in the world to to a lot of us man so cool so cool well congratulations y'all on what you've accomplished so far i know i i know the work is is undone but 
you've got some really awesome stuff ahead, as y'all know, and I'm, I'm super excited for you. So we'll have to uh, we'll have to reconnect once you're done and just see how the whole whole experience ended up playing out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, to, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Thank you for taking taking the time, and I also thank you for sending those athletic brews on over. We we're both avid uh, athletic brew drinkers. We we we've, we've been taking a break from alcohol for this whole project, and so the yeah the the, the NA brews are pretty clutch. <laughs> Oh man, that's so awesome to hear. Yeah, anything like this, there's just certain things you're gonna cut out. Obviously, not Oreos. Sounds like that's uh, that's <laughs> not getting cut out. But yeah, stuff that can inhibit your your mind and personality definitely definitely could take you could me make or break this experience being a success or not. So that's probably wise of y'all, and I'm glad it's been able to help because um, that's what Athletic Bruins all about: helping folks do cool stuff like this. So. Thank y'all. And uh, yeah, good luck. Have fun in Yosemite. And uh, yeah, eat some pizza, eat some Oreos, and we'll talk soon. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Mason. Thanks, Mason. Have a great day. First of all, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us that you choose to listen to this show. If you'd like to help us further, you can leave a review on iTunes, share us with your friends, your family. It goes a long way to grow in the show. You can also support us financially through patreon.com slash adventure sports podcast. Link is in the show notes. And also, if you have an idea of who could be a good guest for the show, we're always looking for people to tell their story uh, about the outdoors or adventure. So if you know someone, please reach out. Email us at info at adventure sports podcast dot com. And until then, get out there and have some fun. <laughs>